Your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag NBA. Everybody say I pushed off. The man was, his energy was going that way. I didn't have to push it that way. Russell was already stumbling away. That hand on his backside was the equivalent of a Mater D showing someone to their table. Michael Jordan and Bob Costas on The Push. The finale of The Last Dance, episodes 9 and 10. The Jazz got a lot of FaceTime. And PK, basically the storyline is Michael Jordan is unbelievably heroic. Look at this. And to tell that story, they don't really light up the other team. So, Jazz fans are worried about the team getting bashed. No, most of the competitors are held up as pretty good players, worthy competitors, but look at what Jordan did that was heroic to beat him. So, missed free throws or whatever else, bad calls, none of that comes up. It always comes down to the play-by-play of Jordan getting buckets. Yeah, I think the push-off, though, came to a little bit. Obviously, he's sensitive to that yeah. because it's some form of criticism. It's implying that he couldn't have done what he did without some form of illegal act in the basketball sense. But other than that, I totally agree with you. I think what we saw is there's illegal acts all over the place at the end of games, and the one time that NBA officials are consistent, they're not calling stuff at the end of games. They showed Stockton shot, and Malone's over there giving Drexler the old big bear hug. And then they show Reggie Miller getting free for a last second shot, and he gave Jordan a big old shove. So a little old love tap there on the hip to get Brian Russell. It was a little off balance, but just to make sure he was all the way out of the way, nobody's going to call that because they just they don't call fouls at the end of games. There's all kinds of crazy stuff happening. Well, I think that the uh, a couple things on that, the – uh, the two others that you mentioned, the Jordan push-off would have been the least egregious of the three. Yeah, I can Also, that. it would have been the easiest shot of the three. I would label them Miller number one because he was running away from the basket. Mm-hmm. And he had to square up. It was a yeah. phenomenal shot under the circumstances. And then obviously Stockton's was a from a longer distance. And then Jordan's was basically, what, a little bit more than a free throw distance. So, yeah, you're right. I, mean, I can't argue that. Uh, during the finale of the last dance, Jordan said he would have been willing to re-sign with the Bulls to chase the seventh title before the team was dismantled. He says, if you asked all the guys who won in 98 will give you a one-year contract for a seventh. You think they would have signed? Yes, they would have signed. Would I have signed for one year? Yes, I would have signed for one year. I've been signing one-year contracts up to that. I think signing Jordan would have been the easiest part of the deal to get done. And I don't really delve into it because it's Jordan's story, but the coach and the GM didn't want any part of each other. That would have been really hard to bring back. I think Everything else is, hey, I could have done this. This might have happened. This, Yeah, that over there, that wasn't happening. Well, it would have been able to be accomplished, I think, fairly easily, though. I mean, they didn't have to get together for that long. They were only for 50 games. 
and another deal because that was the lockout shortened season, so that wouldn't have been any big deal. Uh, yeah, but I would expect him to say that. Of course he was going to say that. Reggie Miller, to this day, thinks his team was better than the Bulls at the end. Stockton had no fear of the Bulls. Well, why not, buddy? You should have feared them greatly. I mean, that's just who these people are and how they're wired. Of course they're going to think that. That wasn't news to me at all. And if they would have won that year, he would have thought the following year, too. You never, you're, you're thinking, if you go in thinking you can't do this, well, you can't. So you have to believe you're going to do it. So that, that wasn't a surprise at all. Oklahoma City Thunder guard Chris Paul said NBA players want to return to action ASAP. He's the, uh, Paul is the president of the National Basketball Players Association. Told ESPN's The Jump Friday, a lot of ca- hard conversations have to be had, a lot of hard decisions. But with the team around us, I think ultimately we'll get to where we want to. Obviously we want to play, oh man, we want to play. We want to play bad. And I think that's a consensus for the guys around the league. We want it to be obviously as safe as possible, but the biggest thing is we missed the game. So... Just give me a date then, because it sounds like you're coming back. The owners would like to make money. The players would like to play. So now it's just ironing out details. Oh, yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't know how many hard decisions have to be made. Get back out on the floor. It's going to happen. We're not going to be in this thing forever. Uh, Certain segments of the society aren't going to allow it. Others want it to continue at least until the, the first Wednesday in November. But I think that uh, it's going to come back. Pilot flying Kobe Bryant and seven others to a youth basketball tournament did not have alcohol or drugs in his system. Uh, We heard it was about the fog all along. It sounds like it was about the fog. The toxicology report's coming out, so it sounds like it was all about the fog. Yes. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. I feel like with the mind of Andy Reid, like anything's possible. He can line you up out there and get 15 yards, which is crazy. He just that go to with it. And that's not taking away anything from like the amazing athletes that we got. I'm just saying Coach Reed, he's just a wizard with the way he draws these plays up. That's Tyreek Hill right there. Andy Reid is a wizard. <laughs> it's good. That's high praise right there. You got to like that. Well, wait a second here. Because he won one game more than he's won in the past, that makes him a wizard. Either he was already a wizard or he's not. I believe that he's already very good. He didn't need one more game to verify that he's an excellent football coach, but I guess some people look at it that way, but for me, not so much. Well, that's why you say what you say about Sloan. You know, that the coaches try to put the players in the best position possible, and when Andy Reid got a better quarterback and better player... Got the best quarterback he's ever had. They won it all. When he had a pretty good quarterback, they were around it a lot, you know, in a lot of NFC title games. It was like four or five in a row, and they went to a Super Bowl, but yeah, you get better players, you win more. Newsflash. Okay, yeah, fine. I mean, Mahomes is obviously great. NFL is considering improving draft pick selections in the third round for teams that hire minority candidates as head coaches or GMs. Teams also could receive compensatory picks if minority candidates remain as a head coach or GM into the third year. So now you're going to have people looking around and people like, oh, you're no good. You just got the job for a draft pick. Uh, well, that depends. Uh, that, that, that's a white person's line of thinking yeah, right there. Right. <laughs> a lot of white people. There. And, and some people are going to succeed and win, and nobody's going to think that. Uh, but other people, I mean, 
Working in TV newsrooms in California in the 80s and 90s, and you heard that kind of stuff all the time. That was mostly about Latino reporters. And then you talk to them about what they hear and what they think, and this, this stuff just goes on and on. And already uh, Anthony, Anthony Lynn, the Chargers coach, came out, and his quote, and, I, and I'll be paraphrasing it, he's African-American, he's been there, to, uh, he's coached three years now. He got hired right as they made the move to L.A. And he said sometimes you do the right thing the wrong way. So, obviously, he's got some reservations about this. He does? That's what I took from that quote. You do the yeah, right thing again, the wrong way. Yeah, again, I think that's... Uh, but that's just PR, you think? No, I think it's depending on your perspective. I think if we can line up a slew of black folk in the media, and they're not going to see it that way. TV pioneer Phyllis George, former Miss America, female sportscasting pioneer, first lady of Kentucky. She passed away at the age of 70, a blood disorder. She died at Lexington Hospital after a long fight with the blood disorder. Phyllis George, a star back in the day, PK. Well, I mean, she rests in peace. I don't know what to say. I didn't view her as a star. I don't know much about her, but understand that she did some television and all that stuff. I didn't really watch it, but uh, yeah, I said, so some sense of a pioneer. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. You, your daddy's son. This ain't my thing, but hey, hickory dickory doc, the mouse ran up the clock. Coach Sweeney's got that drip, and now he's on TikTok. Clubs coach Dabo Sweeney must feel like yeah, he needs it for recruiting. He's on another social media app, TikTok. Hello. That was some awful poetry right there. Uh, yeah, but when you built the powerhouse that he's built, uh, you can you can have that and try to relate to those young kids that are coming out of high school and all that stuff. You're always selling it. Former Alabama quarterback Dalia Tangavailoa, the younger brother of former Crimson Tide star Tua. Tungavailoa announced he will transfer to the University of Maryland and play for former Alabama OC Mike Loxley and the Terrapins. He's got three years of eligibility left. So, is he going to turn out to be Eli Manning, have his own awesome career, or one brother got all the talent, is going to have all the success, and he's going to slip away, and we're never going to hear much about him in Maryland? I have no idea. Yeah, me neither. Hey, UCLA is expected to announce the hiring of a new athletic director, Martin Jarmon. He's been the AD at Boston College, will replace the retiring AD, Dan Guerrero. He became the youngest Power 5 AD at 37 when BC hired him away from Ohio State, where he was the deputy AD. UCLA getting a new boss. He hires a basketball coach who seems to be turning it around pretty quickly. That was a pretty good debut year. The football program, uh, yeah, year three for that coach, so we'll see how that goes. Those are the two things the AD is supposed to get right. Yes, uh, I think that uh, with or without the new AD, the pressure's going to be on Chip Kelly. Pressure's on every coach for sure at that level who's coaching football. You know, what are you doing in year three? I get your point, uh, but... I think the pressure would be there no matter what because you're expected to win, especially if your name is Chip Kelly and you were so ballyhooed at the time. It was like, oh, my gosh, when he chose the school that he did, it was like 
they were just blessed with this great football coach and the world was going to change. It would be like Urban Meyer now if Urban came out and said, I'm getting back into coaching and I don't know where I'm going. But the school that gets me, you know, people would go crazy over it. Chip Kelly wasn't to that degree, but at the time, because of his pedigree at the collegiate level, it was such a publicized decision. I don't remember which schools he was choosing from. There was obviously more than that, uh, than the, than just one. But he's going to have to win or show, at least show some significant progress, which I think is capable, too. I don't think that is a total failure of a hire. I think the jury's still out, and I liked it a little bit the way they progressed at the end of the season. But you got to keep it going. you got to ramp it up another level. I think just a winning record is enough this year. You know, because you got to consider the backdrop against what everything is happening. You know, it's UCLA. They don't have the same passion that you're going to have at some other schools. But it's still Power 5, so there's certainly some passion and some pressure there. I think if he gets uh, if he gets to seven wins, assuming that it's a 12-game season, if he's 7-5, and five, you know, it'll be a step yeah. forward. We'll probably be here a year from now. Well, now there's on Chip Kelly to do better than that because you never, you know, completely get out from under it. The thing about the comparison with Urban is Urban has now been a, uh, a good hire at four schools, whereas Chip Kelly had been a good head coach at one school. So well, Urban's got a little more slant. Yeah. Like, you, like you were saying, you know, it's, a, it, it's similar, but Urban, it's over the top with Urban. I mean, your definition of a good hire is win, virtually win at all yeah, costs. Right. Others would argue whether Ohio State, the last Florida, two right. stops were good hires, but you're looking at it from the win perspective. Which I think is how the next AD will look at it, who hires him. Yeah, we'll have some problems, but we'll win along the way. Yeah, we'll see. And that's an interesting concept for another time because we could debate, it, debate that for about two hours. <laughs> well, we need four. But two's a good start. All right, uh, DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. We're all just kind of in a holding pattern as far as, you know, what the season might look like just because, you know, everything changes week to week, month to month with what's going on right now. So nobody really knows for sure. You know, obviously the MLB just sent over that proposal that we're looking over, I think, right now and having to talk about it soon. But nobody really knows. You know, no one knows what it's going to look like yet. That's Clayton Kershaw. Nobody knows. Major League Baseball sent out a very detailed plan. 70-whatever pages. All the changes that have to happen. Most of them on the indoor side. A bunch of people in the clubhouse for a long period of time. Doesn't look as good an idea as it did about a year ago. Uh, and no spitting, PK. No tobacco use. No chewing sunflower seeds. You sat in a dugout a long time ago. It seems to me like that's a small price to pay. You know, some things have to be changed. But... Spitting sunflower seeds seems like a rite of passage for baseball players. Oh, some. I never got into it. It always made my mouth dry, and I didn't like it. And so I don't know that that is something that is a rite of passage because we could have viewed that on a much higher, more serious level that tobacco was, and we got past that. I mean, if you're going to let that stand between you and playing the game and earning millions, then you have an issue. So I don't think that that's going to be a problem, that I think they can overcome that. And maybe you could just have gum and blow bubbles and put it in a trash can or something. So, but uh, yeah, it's, it's moving. It's the same thing with the other sports that we just discussed. It's moving towards that and it's going to happen. Major League Baseball uh, owners, the commissioner's office, putting together a presentation for the union. 
And it said that the prorated salaries would contribute to an average loss of $640,000 for each game over an 82-game season in empty ballparks. Yeah. So, so they basically, the players feel like they already took a big hit because they cut their salaries in half because half the games have gone away. But the owners are saying, yeah, these other games, these other 80, 82 games, whatever it is they end up playing, aren't going to be as valuable as they originally were because we're not going to have people at the games, tickets, parking, concessions, merchandising, all going to take a hit. And the players balking at the second round, I think they'll do it. I think they're just probably negotiating over how big a hit they're going to take. What what percentage of the TV and radio contracts worth? Because that's what they're playing for now. That's where they're going to make their money. Well, there's no question they're going to take a hit, but I don't necessarily know that every single game is going to have zero fans in it for that's in, in the entirety of the rest of the season. Seems like in a 50,000-seat stadium, you could sell one luxury suite and two seats out in the bleachers. So yeah. then the question is, well, could you sell two seats in left field and two in right field? And then two behind first base and two behind third base. And really, you could do four luxury suites and space. I mean... So, you're, again, you're negotiating, like, what's the tipping point? What's the balance? Right, and I really think at that point, there'd be tremendous pressure on you to participate in the wave because they could literally see, hey, wait a second, you didn't do it. You did not stand up. <laughs> we know who you are, <laughs> and you are a party pooper. So yes. the pressure to do the wave, I think, goes up exponentially. While the wave is an entertaining example, the fact is when the stadium isn't shoulder-to-shoulder people, which I don't see us getting back to that, but there's some middle ground I think we are going to get back to, but in these empty stadiums, you can hear stuff. So in a soccer game yesterday, you could hear specific trash tack on the field that would make, uh, I don't know, might... I don't know. Now Jordan had probably said Jordan said some pretty crazy stuff to Larry Bird, <laughs> but it was a little it was a little uh, worse than that. So you hear specific stuff out there. Careful, well, people. Soccer. What more would you yell other than spread out? Uh, I'll tell Yock, but it had something to do with a grandma, and it was uh, I don't know. Oh dear. You, yeah. Right. All right, DJ and PK. Golf. So golf's back, sort of. We know June 11th, the PGA Tour is supposed to uh, return. Made for TV skins game. PK, we're going to have to get used to it. I, and I know because we've seen events Remember in Europe. Remember to pick up your bag, guys. There was, yeah, but there, were, there was nobody in the background. It looked odd. I, I'm so used to seeing a wall of people in the background on the PGA Tour. It was just fun to see the guys hit the shot, walk off the tee box, uh, anticipating their caddy carrying their bag and yeah. having to walk back. Got to go back and get that. Yeah. Yeah. Go get your bag. But, you know, if they're not playing for their own money, I mean, you could just, you could literally feel the lack of pressure. But it was something. It was better than nothing. And the PGA Tour will be better than that. I didn't watch it, so I can't really add anything to it. Didn't see one second of it. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. Receive a free reverse osmosis system with the purchase of any water softener at Shamrock Plumbing. 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up later this morning, Dale Murphy, former National League MVP for the Atlanta Braves. 8 o'clock, we'll talk with him about baseball and restarting baseball. 9 o'clock, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. He's great, great MJ stories for the last month. 
see what he thought of the, the last dance there. All right, DJ and PK, that is coming up. The question of the morning next, your reaction to the last dance. A lot of you already weighing in on that. I'm on Twitter, David DJ James, Facebook, DJ and PK. You can call us 855-340-ZONE. The Jazz figuring prominently. We will get to that next. Stay with us. The Big Show. It's a big deal. With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Jonathan Tavernari, former Cougar, with us. Mark Pope seems to be able to challenge his players and yet instill confidence in them simultaneously. So I was able to meet him quite a bit um, when he first came in as an assistant coach, as a guy that played professionally for about a decade. The best compliment I can give a coach is, I would love to play for you. That's the case with Mark. He is a player's coach in every way, shape, or form, which 100% in my opinion, is the reason why Matt Harms chose BYU. Because the way that Mark Pope develops players is something to be seen. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hot Texas or Toast is brought to you by Master Electrical Services. Master Electrical is always open during this challenging time. Call Master Electrical at 801-543-2222 for upfront pricing and your satisfaction is guaranteed. Master Electrical will light up your day. Question of the morning. What did you think of the last dance of the last dance? Episodes 9 and 10. Jason says, I loved it. The episodes were difficult to watch and brought back a lot of painful emotions. Great series, though. Loved all the backstories that we didn't have back in the day. What were your favorite backstories, PK? Favorite details that emerged? Oh, boy. I don't know that anything was really brand new in that way. Just that it became so predictable that the slights that he had and that what he viewed as slights you know we knew uh and we talked about it last week well Carl Malone got the MVP in 97 so he always picked out something and then George Carl before that walked by him in a restaurant and didn't say hello and just these little silly things that were Viewed as, as he made these mo, mo what are they said mountain out of a molehill yeah. is that the expression and so that drove him that you know at that point when you're winning four and five titles you're really reaching to find some form of motivation and I think that that you know he did that to a degree although I think that was overstated and I, I don't maybe two and three but once you get to four five six. I don't. I don't think that 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 was that big of a deal to him. But he had to keep saying it because that's who he was. You know, I think to get one, that was something. That's just to get the first one. Obviously, that's extreme motivation unto himself itself. And then obviously to get past the Pistons, who were your arch enemy, and it was such a rough and tumble. It's funny that you know Isaiah was a bully the little guy was a bully on his team so he was bad news but Jordan is a hero as he bullies Scott Burrell as he bullies full fill in the blank person and he chose to bully on his own team rather than the opposition so you know one man's bullying is another man's role model so then you have that type of 
thing there. And I, and I do think that by the last year, though, that's what's incredible because this thing really was an exhausting adventure. And to be able to care enough, because if he would have won five titles, is, he, is it that big of a hit to his rep? Maybe a little bit, but he had the motivation to go get that sixth one, and that's what was so impressive at an advanced age. You know, not not super old. What was he, 35? But, you know, NBA stuff, advanced age. That's where I think that the Jerry Krause thing, this is the end here, really was the ultimate motivation. Not that Brian Russell said something to him when Russell was a goofy rookie, because that's the way I viewed Russell. I viewed him more goofy than a serious trash talker. Yes, and we're all normal, but Jordan's not wired like normal. So he can, because he made up that one slide. What was the name of that guy where he totally made it up? They covered it in one of the earlier episodes. And he did, the guy said good game afterwards, and it turned out the guy never said anything. They had BJ Armstrong, a former teammate, had one good game. And well, then, Bradford Smith. Yes, good call. Good call, PK. Yeah, the whole LeBradford story, that was hilarious. Just made up out of thin air. I mean, it's one thing. Like B.J. Armstrong is not going to beat the Bulls, okay? One time, one night, he was out of his mind, and they got one game. But that gets treated like some you know, massive slight. And something Brian Russell said when he was a rookie three or four years earlier, yeah. But, you know, so many of the That's games... That's why I think it was overstated. I right. don't think it was real. So many of the games were so close, and maybe he thought, hey, this is what I need to summon the energy for one or two more clutch hoops here. Because, you know, every, every time there was another game no. and they put the score up and, you know, it's another two or four point win. No, I don't think, so. I don't think that at all at all. I think that the opportunity to win the game... It's not, well, I got this extra energy, this burst of motivation because of something that B.J. Armstrong did earlier. Maybe in the moment, but not as you're going down the line of a series. You know, maybe you want to get him back immediately. I think the intrinsic motivation was just the opportunity to win. I think the win-at-all-cost mentality. And so it, it was... It was irrelevant that it was B.J. Armstrong went off for Charlotte. It was irrelevant that Brian Russell said something. Because my point is, if it wouldn't have been Brian Russell, it would have been something else. He would have continually have found something. So it wasn't any of that stuff. They just happened to be innocent bystanders, so to speak. (laughs) He would have found something else, and he would have moved on. So no matter what it was, that's why I can't say, oh, Brian Russell, you shouldn't have said anything when you were just this goofy rookie. That had nothing to do with it, because it would have been... The, the usher who looked at him and didn't smile and didn't worship Jordan at the feet of Jordan and paid him disrespect when he entered the building at whatever building he entered. So it wouldn't have mattered. He would have come up with something. So the, the actual what he came up with, it, didn't, it was irrelevant because if it wasn't that, it would have been an A, B, C, D, E, F, G all the way through Z. He would have come up with something. So it was just, what am I going to pick today to create some artificial motivation? Which, in turn, the fact that he's picking something, that's the motivation. The actual thing that he picked doesn't matter. That was kind of one of Stockton's uh, quotes there that they used was that, uh, you know, Jordan had several things he could have gone to. And as LeBradford Smith proved, as LeBradford Smith proved, if he couldn't have found anything, he would have made it up anyway. Kyle posts this: Chills, best era of basketball. Stockton alone were solid. LeBron isn't good enough to sniff MJ's jock. 
<laughs> Seems like a little dismissive of LeBron, but I get your point there, Kyle. I don't know this, that he'd want to do that anyway. Right, exactly. Thank you. But the the six titles, year <laughs> after year, finding another way to get it done. And the one time when you come back from baseball and you don't get it done to answer with that 72-win season, there's separation there. I guess LeBron fans don't want to mention it, but... Well, actually, separation. you know, it was good that he didn't win in that first one back because that meant that it's hard to do. And if he comes back, what did it, when did he come back? In March? I mean, the one he year he wasn't late. around, so, right, the first year. So, yeah, so the second year when he comes back, uh, he... They don't win. They lose to Nick Anderson and obviously Shaq and all that. Uh, and uh, the Rockets went, ended up winning the title that year, right? Uh, but it was good that he didn't win it because then it would have been too easy. And that's part of the struggle. It's part of the story. you got to have struggle be a part of the story. Because if you don't have struggling being part of the story, uh, then it's tainted a little bit there. Because, not tainted, but somehow like Durant. Durant winning a title and multiple, it really means nothing in the grand scheme of things because there was no struggle. There was nothing he had to overcome at the NBA level like Jordan did. You know what I mean? He just went over there to an existing team and made the team better. And then you got his mother crying on the floor like it was the most outrageous thing to even fathom. Well, the rest of us already knew that it was guaranteed. The title was decided in July when he chose to go to the Warriors. So there was no struggle there. And I think in order to make a story great, and I'm sure he's had some struggle in his personal life growing up, whatever it is, I don't know, I don't care. But I'm talking about from the NBA perspective. I doubt the first time he touched a ball, he was draining 25-footers like it was so effortlessly. And I th- he had to go out there and put in the time to make himself great, and then he grew to be 7 feet tall and all that stuff. But you look at the Jordan story, what makes it so cool is the struggle. You look at the Phil Jackson story. Phil Jackson doesn't just sit there and say, here, you're, you're the coach. I mean, he's coaching in the CBA. He was coaching all over the place, right, to get where he got. So he did pay his d- pay dues. It's not like he just waltzed into the situation. He earned the right to be in that situation, and he did it, and he got there. And and, th- and that's a fun story. And, and you know, Rodman has his story. Kerr was under recruited. Obviously, they've all got their stories to realize the success, and that's what makes the story as great as it is. And if you come strolling back in from baseball and play 17 games and then win the title, that looks a little too easy. Yeah. It does. It's less than a quarter Absolutely, of the season. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So it was good that he lost. I think that for most folk, their individual stories, everybody's got one. You know, you were fired in Sacramento and whatnot. I think all those setbacks in the time, they're major blows. I assume that was a major blow for you. You know, and, and I, I had a job offer once. They, they gave me a physical, the L.A. Daily News. A fi- I went and got a physical, and the doctor is congratulating me. And I'm saying, I didn't get the job yet. He said, well, yeah, they're not going to come here and make you go through this and not offer you the job. Congratulations. Well, it turns out I did not get the job. I was just 
devastated. I literally cried when I didn't get the job. I couldn't believe it. I wanted it so bad. I mean, I really wanted it bad, and I didn't get the job. Well, later on down the line, I get another job in another sports department that really had set me up because when I went to the Daily Breeze originally, I was not in sports. I was in news because that was the opportunity to get into the organization. So about a year or so later, I don't remember the time frame, I got the switch over into sports and then took off from there. And that's part of my struggle. So I think we needed that. I needed that. It made me better, made me appreciate it more. And so those types of struggles make things appreciate, make you appreciate it more. I'm wondering if Jordan had won that title when he came back and you said he played 17 games, you know, would he, would he have won f- titles five and six? Would beating the Jazz have meant as much? I mean, we'll never know, obviously. But I think all of those things that go through it, whatever you go through, create who you end up being. More reaction pouring in. The last dance. What'd you think? Roy says, hard to say since I didn't watch a second of any of it. Jujuro says, as a diehard jazz fan, I didn't watch any episode. Jason says, you need to get over it because it was very well done and great to watch. (laughs) For some jazz fans, it still stings too much. Just Yeah, but that's not – see, you're wrong on that. Not you, but, I mean, the person who says it still stings. That shouldn't sting. Uh, what should sting is the two years he was out. That's what should sting. That was your opportunity. And if you would have got one, was it 94, 95? Is that mm-hmm. what the, the two years? If you would have gotten one or both, hey, man, how sweet would that have been? And it wouldn't have mattered that this guy wasn't there. The sting of, and I assume it's because the statues didn't win a title. It's not the sting of losing to the Laker team. It's not the sting of losing to the Bulls team. It's the sting in between. That's where the sting should be. And if they ever did something on the Rockets, (laughs) like they just did, they wouldn't be to that degree, obviously. But if they ever did something, and probably done something somewhere along the line, that's where the sting is. It's just that it's not as prominent because it's you, you lost to Jordan. I mean, and you can say you lost to him twice, which in a sense gives you more honor than losing to him once like the other four teams did. You lost to him twice, man. You, got, you battled. You battled tooth and nail, and it came down to so many of those games were so close. One point, one shot, two shots here and there. And obviously, they, they could have gone either way. But if I'm a Jazz fan, I'm hardcore since birth, which many of you are, and I respect all of you who are that way. I get it. That's not where my sting is. My sting is 94, 95, and maybe some sting otherwhere, other places along the line. Because if you would have gotten through those two years – you probably win the title if you would have gotten through the West because the Rockets did, and I would have seen no reason why the West winner, whoever it might have been if it wasn't the Rockets, wouldn't have gotten through. We'll never know, but to me it's conceivable. That's where the sting would really be. Well, especially the second year when they swept Orlando. Uh, The Knicks series was pretty hard fought. Who knows? One bounce, crazy stuff. Uh, But if you're better than the Rockets, and the Rockets are better than the Knicks, it's certainly not out of the realm. Uh, yeah. But the Rockets were much better than the Magic. They just rolled right over them. 
Uh, Jose posts, uh, what do you think of the last uh, dance, the last dance? And Jose, you know, I think winners get to write the story. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> they can't argue that. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, Tom says, why the Jazz didn't double Jordan on the push-off is beyond me. Make someone else beat you. Well, in other they situations, did. they had tried that, and the year before, they doubled him, and Steve Kerr hit the winner. And, you know, I'd, I've watched that play before, and for whatever reason, uh, because I've seen it several times, I was sitting there, and this time I was watching, like, who could have rotated to Kerr? I mean, they gave up a 15-footer, and you look at who was moving, and the guy who almost came to him was Hornacek, but you could also see Hornacek was trying to defend Kukoc on the far side. And given how many game winners Kukoc hit, you can't really second-guess that. I mean, they had, you know, Kukoc, they covered in the earlier one how Kukoc hit Pippen, and they showed they, that, um, you know, Kukoc said I had hit some game winners early in the year, and they showed three of them. Now, maybe there were more buzzer beaters than that, but they showed three. So, yeah, pick your, oh, po- yeah. Come pick, on. Come pick on. your poison. Kukoc can beat you, Jordan can beat you, and Kerr can beat you. So, good luck with that. Yeah, Kukoc was 6'11", and just a great player himself. And then, and a great player in that situation. He may not have been a great player top to bottom in every aspect of the game, but be able to hit an open jump shot or a contested jump shot. He's left-handed. He's tall. He's extremely tall because they're all tall just about. So, Kukoc would have made that shot. I mean, go back to Paxton. You know, Jordan in the Phoenix series, he didn't hit the game-winning shot or the series-clinching shot. It was Paxton from three. And if you're going to – and they uh, people say for Danny Ainge, why in the world did you leave whoever you left, Grant, or you went to double horse Grant down below, and, and you came out of the timeout saying no threes, no threes, no threes. I mean, I'm obviously I have a Phoenix background, so I have some interest there. And uh, Ainge was screaming no threes. Well, he ends up doubling somebody down low, and they give up a three. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> So you can pull your hair out on all that stuff. You know, it's so simple to say. I think that one of the things that I probably would have said for Russell is try to overplay to the right so he can't push you. Your momentum isn't going. You jump topside immediately, so maybe he can't get over there in that perspective. But come on. There's a million things you can go back and forth on, and nothing is going to change. Jim says his favorite quote, his favorite quote uh, in the whole thing was Bird and MJ at the end of episode nine. <laughs> that was not repeatable on the radio. Uh, Ryan says, excellent. Never would I think that a show about the single worst sports moment in my life would become my favorite episode. And he got four thumbs up for that, so there's a lot of people who agree with him. Even though the Jazz lost, he loved watching it. All right, DJ and PK, what are you watching? Well, we know we were watching The Last Dance, but what else were we watching this weekend? We'll get to that coming up. Stay with us.
Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. George Nian, kind enough to join us. It sounds like you want to get back out there. You want to play and, and finish the season. For sure. You know, I feel like America needs sports. You yeah. know, America needs entertainment just for their mental well-being. And if, you know, the NBA could lead that resurgency, that would mean a lot. You know, I think the game has a huge impact. If we can continue to impact the world positively, you know, with, you know, stressing the fact that, you know, be healthy, protect yourself, uh, wash your hands, take care of others, and still be able to play, I think we should get out there and do it. Uh, but if it's my gut feeling and I had a gun to my head, I would say that, you know, we're going to finish the season and that's going to happen. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. With a little extra time on your hands, it's time to talk about what we're doing to kill time. What did you watch last night with DJ and PK on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network? Too much time on my hands. Too much time on my hands. What'd you watch this weekend? Well, we all watched The Last Dance, two hours of that Sunday night. But the rest of the weekend, uh, channel surfed across many things, PK. Uh, hit the Major League Baseball Network yesterday, yesterday, and they were doing a Game 7 day. It was all famous Game 7s from baseball history. And I hit the ninth inning of the 1979 Pirates-Orioles, and the Pirates are down 3-1, and they come back and win the series. They won it in Baltimore, which at the time, uh, in the old stadium there, the Colts played there, and it clearly just had a home game. The presentation of sports, if this old video shows us anything, it's that the presentation and packaging of sports is so much slicker now. You see old NBA highlights, and if it's from the 70s, you actually see... Uh, folding tables along the sideline and the legs of people under the tables. You see nobody like 20 feet off the end of the court, which are now the most expensive seats. And there are just football lines all over this baseball field. There are clearly hash marks going. The pitching mound was right between the hash marks, right in the middle of the field. There are hash marks going out there. You, n- you never see stuff like They don't share stadiums anymore, for starters. Some stadiums that are baseball will have like one bowl game in it. Yankee Stadium does. And uh, the Giants, we've seen uh, the San Francisco Giants, they've uh, played a bowl game, the Utes played a bowl game there. You just don't see that kind of stuff. And Howard Cosell, who's famous for Monday Night Football, and Keith Jackson, who is the voice the voice track of college football, and they're calling a baseball game. And at the end of the game, this would be such a big deal now, and I don't remember anything about it at the time. The fans are running out on the field, and the players are trying to get off. And a couple of players you can see are kind of trying trying to hold the fans back, but the fans are running at them, and they're trying to run to the dugout, and so they they kind of shove them to the ground, you know. But they're off balance. It's a light shove. But then this guy, and I actually looked him up, this one guy (laughs) just turns around and hauls off and crushes a fan. And it's kind of on a wide shot, but it's clear as day, and his number was 16. I have no idea who he was. was, It looked like he had some catching gear on. I looked it up, and sure enough, it was some guy named, you ever hear of a guy named Steve Nicosia? No. I mean, Manny Sanguian was an all-star. I remember that name. Ed Ott and Steve Nicosia were the catchers, but Steve Nicosia was 16, and he just hauled off and decked a guy. It was and now that'd be the biggest thing. He'd be playing the tape over and over, and he'd probably get fined. And I don't remember anything about it. But anyways, it was uh, it was kind of wild to see uh, see a game from my youth 
old school. Everything's slicker now. That was what I took away from that. Holy cow. Uh, yeah, and I imagine today's youth from years from now, everything will be slicker in yeah. 20, 30 years. Yeah. Uh, now that the A's have left for Vegas, there are no stadiums that are shared to play one sport uh, or two sports because obviously the Oakland A's and the Raiders have done that for several years. But that's not the case anymore. They don't do that. They're going with them going to Vegas. That'll be out the door. Uh, so and yeah, in those days too, you did see fans, particularly in the NBA. You see them like they were lining the floor yeah. and ready to ch- just run out on the floor and get around all the players. And so that was crazy back then to think that that would happen because it doesn't happen. I can't recall anybody at a professional sports in recent years in terms of getting on. Now there may be a drunk kid or somebody on a dare who runs out in the outfield and they stop play and the TV cameras can't show them because that's going to give them publicity. So then you immediately go online to watch it to see what happened. Seems pretty stupid now because it's all available. Somebody's filming something and so you'll see it and then you'll be able to watch it if that's what you're interested in. But they don't. The fans don't get on at the pro level. Are not coming out on the field at all, and really at these big college games, they're not. I mean, one of the funniest things I'd ever seen. And you know, there's actually a picture. The Deseret News has a picture. Uh, they put out a thing of Utah's Fiesta Bowl, and it's at Sun Devil Stadium. It's in North End, and they had a chain link fence. And Ute fans were so used to storming the field because it seemed like every game they were storming the field there for a while. I think they've gotten over it for the most part. But for a while there, they were doing it constantly. And guys were trying to come climb over the chain link fence. And security was there pushing them back over. And it was like it was a uh, they were setting a volleyball. And one guy would put them use his hands, push the kid's butt up, and the other guy would then slam him over and spike him back over the fence. And and then one guy did make it, and they, they got him on the ground. And there's a picture. I went down, I was watching it, and I was amused by it. I thought, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. And these guys are getting tased to come over the fence, and it's not happening. Security's not letting them over. <laughs> and there's a picture in the Desert uh, News. They put, like, a yearbook type of thing on it, uh, a memory book and you see me standing there watching them do it <laughs> oh boy this is gonna be i wonder good. what's gonna happen here. <laughs> and, I, and i'm thinking this is entertaining because they're doing it as they're setting up the stage uh you know around midfield to present them with the fiesta bowl trophy so there's sort of downtime there and obviously i'm down on the field because you're down on the field at the end of the game to go get the quotes and all that stuff and so that was entertaining it was way more entertaining than the game the game was a snooze fest that whole week that we had down there in Tempe was one of the best times that I've had in this business. That was a lot of fun, doing the morning show with you and then doing the afternoon show at a sports bar with Gordon. Uh, that was that was a ton of fun. And what was that, uh, 2004? Was that the year? Yep. Uh, yeah. And then and uh, I had, uh, in between time, I was going to the hospital because on Thanksgiving, of uh, or not the hospital at that point it was a rehab place because at the Thanksgiving uh, of that year my father had a heart attack <laughs> and uh, ended up living another ten years but he was in the recovery process so I would do the show go over there and then come back to do the afternoon show and it was just so much action going on and the youth fans that took over the community was really sweet but you don't see fans at certainly at the pro level now having desires i guess to run out on the field the way they used to 
It's, uh, I don't know how much of it is uh, everything changes, safety, liability. I guess we see it after college football regular season games. I mean, uh, college basketball, I guess they storm the court too. But you're right, for a lot of them, it's actually kind of shocking now to see like that. NBA Finals end and the uh, Lakers and Pistons are on the floor and they're just swallowed up by people. Yeah, that's unheard of now. You wouldn't even think to... I don't know if there's anybody even think to do it because I don't know whatever, particularly in an NBA game, whatever type of security they have, if you had 18,000 folks that decided they wanted to rush the floor, well, they're going to overwhelm whatever you've got, but they don't do that. And I think that, you know, maybe one of the downsides is we've gotten to where it's acceptable to be screaming at players. And there was that thing, we didn't talk about it, but in the last dance, what was the Pistons fans? That woman? Uh, they, Pacers. They there was, was, yeah. A, yeah. A, I, meant, I meant Pacers. I didn't, I'm sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to say Pistons. Yeah, there was Pacers. that one woman. Holy She's cow. She's screaming F bombs <laughs> left and right. Yeah. Sit down. It's a basketball game, man. Come on, unless you have a direct uh, sta- uh, connection and your husband's the coach or what have you, uh, and I've seen a lot of wives scream at referees at the college games that I've gone to because I would go back year after year because everybody played home and home, so I got to know who the wives were, and I would watch them scream and yell at referees in particular, not so much opposing players, but definitely referees. Uh, Steve McLean's wife at Wyoming was the classic, and she was about four feet tall, and her voice was that of a mouse and she'd be screaming her head off, Ronnie Fernandez, that's a brutal. Ronnie Fernandez couldn't hear her for anything, man, because <laughs> her voice didn't carry whatsoever, and she was 30 feet off the floor. But she would get so emotional because that's her husband. I get it. But uh, that, that lady fan, that was so over the top. Sit down. So that's one of the things that has gotten worse, I think. But one of the things that's gotten better is that the fans don't get on the floor. DJ and unless, oh, unless, unless you're in Santa Barbara, then you can walk right up to the coach during a game. And sit in his seat. <laughs> Nobody bats an eyelash. I've talked, that was, like, that was I've, a couple years ago, wasn't it? I've talked to, uh, well, uh, did it happen? Was Hawaii there and it happened maybe? I think it was Hawaii, yeah. yeah. Was it Frank Arnold's son was the coach? And not that's not the first time it happened. It happened when I was calling Santa Barbara, UC Santa Barbara games. It happened in a Utah State game. And it was Rod Tuller. And Rod handled it great. He just turned and looked at the guy. And, it, and the look was just like, it was so parental. <laughs> just kind of like, am I going to have to tell you how disappointed I am in you? And he didn't say anything. And then he turned around, looked oh. back, and went to coach in the game. And the guy, every, the guy wanted a scene. And then he just kind of had to, like, slink back to his seat. Rod was standing up. You know, coaches stand up and, talk, uh, you know, talk to the guys on the court or whatever and stand up for big chunks of the game. Yeah. And I've talked to Rod about that. It was hilarious. The good thing for you, yeah. when it's all said and done and you're looking for a part-time job, I'm pretty sure Santa Barbara's going to need some security. Some ushers. <laughs> <laughs> DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Dale Murphy, former NL MVP for the Atlanta Braves, joins us next. Stay with us.